Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Spring is almost here, which means it's time for another Kazoo Fest. The seventh annual festival will transform downtown Guelph into a hotbed of music and art for five action-packed days. From April 9th to 13th, the festival will showcase over 30 musical performances, visual art, multimedia art installations, the Kazoo Print Expo, film screenings, and more. Headlining artists this year include Destroyer, Hooded Fang, Cousins, Bry Webb, Vag Halen, Nihilus Spasm Band, Solids, Biblical, and much more. For more information about the 2014 Kazoo Fest, visit kazookazoo.ca or follow them on Twitter at Kazoo Guelph. Creative Control with Beach Comic. So last night I attended the Tandem book launch for Carl Wilson's book, Let's Talk About Love, Why Other People Have Such Bad Taste, and Us Conductors by Shawn Michaels. Uh, If you've been following the program, you would know that both these gentlemen were just on the show. We had a good conversation about uh, their work and and the state of music journalism. And and anyway, I went down to go check out the event, and it was beautiful. It was really well done. The readings were... um, Really lovely. The Q&A led by uh, host Lisa Ladasur was excellent. She uh, really kept the, the conversation focused. And there were cool performances by uh, this uh, kind of comedic rap battles thing that happened. Uh, Snowblink played some songs. Jeff Bird played some theremin. Sandra Perry DJed. It was cool. I'm really glad I went. And as, as some of us got home, it uh, became evident that actress Molly Ringwald was there. She's in town. Uh, she sings. She, 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 I believe she does... Uh, I haven't heard any of her music, but I believe she uh, is now a jazz singer. And uh, she was in town to perform, and she was drawn to the event, and I believe by, by Carl's book. It's, for some, it's very interesting, the celebrity culture that seems to be drawn to Carl's discussion about taste and aesthetics. You know, James Franco, uh, last night we... Carl kind of told the story about... How he came to, uh, how James Franco came to fall in love with his book, and and then the two have struck up like a little relationship um, because of it. And anyway, I, I, it's not significant. I'm just interesting. Molly Ringwald. If Mo- I, my point is, if Molly Ringwald likes this book, what have you got to lose? I would check out Carl's book and Sean's book. They're they're both excellent. Now, speaking of exciting events uh, here in Guelph, Kazoo Fest is starting today, Wednesday, April 9th, and it goes to uh, Sunday. And we're very excited. It's a very interesting lineup, eclectic, experimental, edgy, uh, really cool lineup. And among the people playing are my guests today, Dan Behar of Destroyer. And we're, I'm so excited. Uh, Dan, as far as I know, Dan doesn't sit down for too many uh, long-form, audio-oriented interviews. And here he did this, and it was very kind of him to do it. Uh, we, you know, He doesn't have a new record out, so we weren't really focused on particular projects. We just talked about his life and his work. Um, he does reveal in the interview that uh, today, as a matter of fact, he's entering the studio to uh, make a brand new Destroyer record. And he talks a little bit about his contributions to an upcoming new Pornographer's record. 
And so there's some exciting stuff. You're going to hear an older song from Destroyer on the show. And, uh, yeah, if you're near Guelph and you can make it to see Destroyer on, on April 11th, I recommend you do so. Uh, he, he seems very uh, excited to come to, 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 to this town. So, yeah, here it is. Myself and Dan Behar, a.k.a. Destroyer. Here you go. Hey, this week's episode is brought to you by Pizza Trocadero. For my money, the best pizza you can eat in Guelph, Ontario. A proud, independent family business run by a punk rocker, Trocadero only uses a rich array of fresh ingredients cut by hand and homemade dough made daily, all baked to perfection inside of a stone oven. It's gourmet panzerotti, calzones, wings, salads, garlic bread, breadsticks, and oh man, the pizza, the pizza. Personally, I like the gourmet Domateo with goat cheese, artichoke, roasted red pepper, mushrooms. I sub out the turkey breast for eggplant, but that's just me. Wash the whole thing down with a brio. Man, I am getting hungry just talking about this. Call Pizza Trocadero at 519-829-2444. Visit them at 7 Municipal Street in Guelph and online at trocaderoguelph.ca. T-R-O-K-A-D-E-R-O-G-U-E-L-P-H dot C-A. That's Pizza Trocadero, a place of the good trade. Destroyer is the music-making moniker of Dan Behar, a very gifted lyricist and musician who originally hails from Vancouver, British Columbia. He has been making an idiosyncratic kind of pop music as Destroyer for almost 20 years and can also claim membership in bands like The New Pornographers, Swan Lake, and Hello Blue Roses, among others. His latest work as Destroyer includes the lovely 2013 EP Five Spanish Songs, and his brilliant ninth LP, Kaput, which was jointly released by Merge Records and Dead Oceans in 2011. On Friday, April 11th, Destroyer plays a solo set at the Dublin Street United Church in Guelph, Ontario, as part of Kazoo Fest. Uh, Here now to discuss some of these things is Dan Behar. Uh, Hi, Dan. How are you? Hey, how's it going? I'm very well. I'm very well. Now, Dan, where in the world are you? I'm just pacing around my kitchen. (laughs) <laughs> okay, and geographically. Oh, sorry, Vancouver, British Columbia. Yeah, that's definitely where I live. You, you're still in uh, Vancouver. I know you, you you spend time away sometimes. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. I mean, I haven't. I think. Um, I think after Rubies came out, I lived in Spain for a little while, like seven months or something, mm-hmm. and maybe in the early. Early, early 2000s, I, I tried to bust out of Vancouver for a year, but that's about it. Okay. You, you you consider Vancouver home. Is that where you were raised? I was born here, yeah. Yeah, nice. All right. That's, it's kind of it's kind of rare for that uh, to happen some, in some cases. You know, so many artists want to get out of where they're from. Um, don't, but... don't get me started. <laughs> you've had that. You've obviously had that urge to be away. I've had that, I've had that impulse, but... Um... You know, at some point you just, uh, you age, you tire of thinking about it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you realize you don't leave the house enough to really uh, get too invested in what your outside world's like. Right, right. No, I hear that. Now, the last time you and I met was in um, Sackville, New Brunswick for uh, Sappy Fest. Um, right. Yeah, and I, as I recall, you you were telling me that that was your first time in the Maritimes. Was that right? It was, uh, I think it was my second time. Uh, the first time I played in Halifax for some Exclaim party, and I think it was 2001, early okay. 2001. Was it your first time in New Brunswick, perhaps? I, I remember some feeling. It was, it was definitely my first time in New Brunswick, yeah. Okay, okay. And, and do you recall what that experience was like for you? I never got a chance to catch up with you by the end of the uh, weekend. Um, it was really amazing. I mean, I fell in love with Sackville. Um, I think I'd been on a kind of weird solo tour starting in Atlanta and going up the East coast of the States. 
and I had been spending a lot of time by myself. Some of the shows felt pretty strange. Hmm. I think it was maybe 2009 was the first time I'd kind of done a bonafide solo tour. Uh, and uh, I don't know, there's something about getting getting to Sappy Fest that felt very comfortable and familiar all of a sudden. I mean, part of it was there were some people there I knew, but also just the environment was so different from, you know, playing some shitty dark nightclub in Boston or something like that. Yeah, I was curious about that just from our conversations while we were in Sackville and and even what you've just said. As as a performer who travels, do you have a particular affinity for playing smaller towns like Sackville or in this case Guelph? I mean, they're kind of they're not major markets and and I can I can imagine that the monotony of playing major markets exists. So when you hit Sackville or Guelph, like this is obviously refreshing for you, is that right? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, I actually just also really like those towns. Um, you know, you, uh, you can you can play some show in a small town somewhere. It can also be really terrible. But mm-hmm. I think it just so happens that um, places like Sackville or Guelph, you know, people maybe go out of, would go out of their way to try and play there. I don't know. Yeah, I wonder if it's that maybe a, a larger city audience kind of takes it for granted that you're there on, on some level, whereas a smaller town, it's more of an event, you know? Yeah, I just find them more interesting, too, you know? Like, I kind of always always have, I've, I've, I think I've always kind of had a better time um playing places that weren't, you know, on that, like, kind of a circuit that that gets hit no matter what. Um, Destroyer, for the most part, has never been a super heavy touring machine. I mean, that's kind of changed a bit since Kaput came out, I guess. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, it's we kind of just hit all the major cities and then head home and call it a day, you know? Right. Right. No, so I'm... when that so when that doesn't happen, it's um it's kind of refreshing. So have you considered doing uh nothing but like kind of a you know, small market tour? Have you have is that ever come up? <laughs> I mean, there's people who go to um you take the argument to like a fairly like violent extreme, <laughs> like someone like Will Oldham who just goes out of his way to like um, play really kind of cool out of the way places, you know, because mm-hmm. uh, I think the context of his shows is important for him. Um, it's funny you bring Will up because the last time Will and I spoke on this show, he suggested that his future plans included doing nothing but touring around his native Louisville. Like he had this idea of. Why do I have to go places like when now when his agents are like, hey, do you want to play Shanghai for the first time? He says, I could do that. But at this point in my life, why wouldn't I just make a little circuit for myself? Like it's way more enjoyable, not even to be home every night, but just to kind of create, I think, and I don't want to speak on his behalf, but to kind of conjure a real sense of community for himself where he, you know, where his region of of residence actually is. Yeah, I mean, I could... I can totally picture him fostering that. <laughs> I'm probably not going to be doing tours of the Lower Mainland anytime soon. But um, you know, we're much we're much different. Yeah, no, and and I, I, it just I, I think Kentucky and <clears throat> Kentucky and uh, the West Coast are a little different too. Yeah, like he he had this idea of doing a circuit throughout Kentucky and that area, and I, I just thought it was kind of interesting for someone who, you know, presumably makes his living. Because I assume that, you know, if we get down to the sort of the non-romantic side of this discussion, you're on tour because you have to be. It's it's a way to make a living. Right. Yeah, totally the non-romantic brass tacks. I mean... um you know, you're either on tour to promote a record that has just come out. Yeah. If you're going to be 
if you're going to talk it, talk about it in like as hardened terms as possible, or um, I can kind of see myself having a pattern, you know, of of playing solo shows every four or five years. There's something about it that uh, I'm kind of starting to get into. Um, I think it has to do with just like playing a wider breadth of songs and um, maybe trying out one or two new songs that way. It kind of forces me to think about like how I'm singing in like a really kind of brutal, immediate way. The solo set I saw you play uh, during Sappy Fest was incredible. I, I was really blown away by it. There's so much power in it. And I, I couldn't tell um, if you were kind of, I, and I don't mean this in any disparaging way, but, you know, I think you were used to having a band behind you and you were playing with such force uh, on your own. And I wondered if you were kind of compensating for the fact that you were on your own. I think I think I do it really different now. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm, trying for, I'm trying to remember in 2009, I have a feeling I was trying to make up for a band not being there. And my my tact in the last few months has been to just um, barely have a single guitar there hmm. uh, and, and like really hone in on, um, I guess, the minimal quality of it. Uh, I think the Savvy Fest show, what I remember is getting too drunk too early because I was nervous. <laughs> And it being really, really hot in the church. Yeah, it was crazy hot. I think I was maybe like probably bellowing and gasping for air at the same time, which gave me kind of a um, kind of drowning man quality, which could, I guess, could be seen as power or force. It, it did seem. It seemed kind of primal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think I was holding on, <laughs> holding on for dear life from beginning to end. Yeah. You know, I, you're known for a rather open, I would say, cosmopolitan musical aesthetic. Did, did you do much traveling as a young person? Uh, I, I mean, I don't really remember going on vacation um, to see, you know, like the crown capitals of Europe. But I guess we moved around a fair bit. Mm. Um, but I don't think that gave me a particularly worldly view. I mean, um, you know, my parents weren't Canadian. Right. You know, that's like, so when you're in Calgary, maybe you... Um, <laughs> Maybe you come off as cosmopolitan that way <laughs> in the eighties. I'm, I'm not sure. I'm trying to remember. So you lived uh, in. You didn't just live in British Columbia. Did you live in Alberta? Uh, yeah. I mean, we moved back. We we moved to Spain for a year, and we moved to um, Southern California for a couple of years. That's where my mom's from, and you know, and we lived in Calgary for a few years, and uh, and then came came back here. Okay, so in a sense, you—I mean—you say that that didn't necessarily lend you uh, lend you a particularly worldly perspective. But if you're constantly moving, it—I I would assume that restlessness, or not restlessness, but rather um, that movement—it can—it yes. can potentially conjure within someone a sense of uh, a, a larger world. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm not. I'm not good at. Um... I'm not really good at honing in on where my uh, where my tastes come from. Right, right. I feel like I came of age in the '80s where everything kind of had like a <clears throat> kind of had like a faux cosmopolitanness to it. Am I imagining that? <laughs> no, I think you're right. I think you're yeah. right. Someone should um, explore that theme. <laughs> <laughs> faux cosmopolitanism? Yeah, faux cosmopolitanism. 
It sounds like it would be a lovely drink. Yeah, yeah. That's like a virgin cosmopolitan. Yeah, can I get a Shirley Temple and a faux cosmopolitan? Yeah. That's what it sounds like to me. Yeah. So was it in Vancouver that you first had a sense of, um, uh, you know, musical aspirations? Did you feel a sense of music community at, at any point in your wherever you were living in Canada? Like, where where did you first feel kind of like, huh? There's a pull towards music for you. I mean, I was from teenager onwards. Um, I was really into music. Um, I never imagined really doing it. It seemed like some some kind of fantasy world that you would clip out of a magazine. You know? mm-hmm. It didn't didn't seem real, um, and I had no aspirations in that direction because um, showbiz just seemed like ridiculous and super gauche. Uh, I thought I'd, I don't know, I was kind of had it in my head that I'd do something academic, you know? Mm. Um, but then I guess in my early 20s, I dropped out of school and I started seeing, you know, bona fide bands around town who are like more or less my age or maybe a bit older, but they're actually actually playing music in actual bands Hmm. and I actually liked it Um, and I think that's when I first um, first kind of got inspired to try playing the electric guitar instead of idly strumming my my mom's uh, Spanish guitar okay you mentioned uh, school there what 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 did you actually go into school for I mean, I think I was probably like um, an English major or an English philosophy double major, you know, but um, not in any serious way, I Mm. think. You think? I think think like after the first year, if I was being truly honest with myself, I would have known that it wasn't going to work out or something was wrong. Okay. But it took me another couple of years to um to actually get the get the guts to to bail. Oh, and, okay. Yeah. And I get the impression it was potentially uh, music drawing you out of school into something else and and you mentioned that there were some bona fide local bands. Can you think of uh, some of them that uh, really resonated with you at that time? Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I will say it was probably more like standard, lethargic, early 90s bohemia that um, trashed my school scene. Mm. And that just happened to be a very comfortable lifestyle that went around with musicians. <laughs> but um, I remember seeing Superconductor when I was 20 years old and getting really into it. Um, I remember seeing a band called Blaise Pascal open for pavement when they were touring Slanted and Enchanted. Hmm. And I was really into it. Um, and that was Nick Bragg's um, band. He's played lead, lead electric guitar on Pretty much every Destroyer record for the last 12 years. Oh, wow. Um, there was a band called Horsey who changed their name to Good Horsey that I really liked. Um, I kind of thought Mecha Normal were pretty impressive in their way. So scary in certain other ways. <laughs> but I was young and fragile. Jean <laughs> was wild. Yeah. Yes, she um, was. And... Yeah, that's some of them. That's some of them from that era, that like 1992 kind of was a big year, I guess. Because that's also when I started really getting into like um, like American indie rock, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it just seemed like it just seemed like a lifestyle 
just, <laughs> you know, or like a mentality that, you know, when you're 20, you just, uh, you just want some kind of scene to slip into kind of happened a little bit, I guess. Yeah. Not really. And I was, I was things, I was still like, well, you mentioned kind of hanging out on the periphery of things for a couple of years after that. You mentioned I, I, I can appreciate that, and I can appreciate the fact that you went to see these bands. But it's telling to me that you mentioned Superconductor, and and, and that in a, a few of the examples you cited, you ended up working with the people that you first like that you saw them as in their own right, and then you ended up working with them. Yes, yeah, that's definitely the way it went down. Like um, Zampano, which was Carl's other band towards the tail end of Superconductor was a band that <clears throat> I don't even know how I first heard their tape. It was a four song tape that I think was kicking around in 92 or 93. I can't remember. And it was just so good. Like it seemed, it, I, I hadn't been exposed to someone who wrote songs um, that seemed like they could have been kind of handed down, you know, handed down from the ages, like in the classic, in that kind of classic mold that I wasn't even really into at the time, but um, would later go exploring in a big way, I guess. Um, you know, because 92 was, things were pretty noisy, pretty grungy still. So for someone's songs to kind of remind me of like, um, the Dionne Warwick songs, you know, that I remember on the radio from when I was a kid or like the, my mom playing, you know, um, that was kind of a strange, strange shock. And not only just to have them be in that style, but I think to have them be as good, you know, in my mind. No, that's interesting. And I can see how all of those experiences kind of inform even what you're doing today. Yeah, no, they totally do. Yeah. Um, I'm sure, you know, they'll come around to inform things even more than I know. Yeah, subconsciously. Yeah, yeah Vancouver was really cool that way. I think there was um, just like just a mix of people that were had kind of pretty advanced taste, you know. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I can't speak to the rest of the Canada, but in my mind at the time, I felt sure that it, you know, that it was an underground that left uh, the rest of the country in the dust. <laughs> well, I don't take that personally at all, but uh, you know, being in Ontario, I I can say that I've sensed the same thing. Now, in the in, in 1992, I was 15 and just getting out there and starting to see shows, um, right. but certainly. You know, I think if you were to make a general blanket statement about underground culture in in that time, something was certainly there was obviously a cataclysmic shift. Um, uh, a lot of us were impacted by what was basically an adoption of underground culture by the mainstream, and for better or for worse, it opened up our ears and eyes to things that we may not have heard about other otherwise. Right. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's just a theory I had. You thought Vancouver was better than everyone. I thought it seemed more clued in, especially with Scratch Records happening. Um, it just seemed kind of more clued into um, cool things coming out of San Francisco. Um, what does your was does the locate like I mean we're also talking about a time where there was a high concentration like a high focus on the Pacific Northwest um particularly in Washington state but did that that must have had an impact but just geographically did that have an impact on what was going on in Vancouver kind of but I didn't really f I don't I don't really remember like feeling much of a grunge sensation in town you know hmm. Vancouver's attachment to the Pacific Northwest, I always thought, was it being hell-bent on garage rock, uh, no matter what. Um, I mean, there was kind of crappy, like, Canadian major label industry stuff 
happening here just like everywhere else that kind of happened I, I guess I, I suppose I don't even mean any kind of generic similarity. I'm more referring to the idea of there being import placed on challenging or underground music of any sort. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there seem like definite connections, um, I think. That's yeah. so foggy. We're talking about, what, are we talking about like... Uh, 22 years ago. 22 years ago. <laughs> We shouldn't even be having this conversation. Yeah, I know. I just, uh, I'm kind of, it's just on my mind lately, uh, I suppose, for some reason. If I had a, if I had a manager, he'd be next to me or she'd be next to me right now, like, <laughs> doing that sign, the cutoff sign you, with your hands. Are and, you getting, geez. are you, are you, are you growing restless in, in our, in our conversation at this point, Dan? No, no. I was just saying, like, please don't age yourself anymore <laughs> by talking about um, you know, starting up in the early nineties. <laughs> yeah, I can appreciate that. Sure. Well, as much as I sense organic progress in your creative trajectory, there does seem to be, I think, deliberation to surprise people from from one release to the next. How conscious of, are you of of avoiding categorization? Um, not at all. No. You know, I, there's like stuff that I like. Uh, and I just want to hit it, you know, I want to hit all the points. Um, I think I'm probably not like a terribly gifted band leader. So the idea of trying to keep one intact um, as like a functional entity uh, never seemed too realistic. Um, and there's just tons of shit I want to do. Uh, I mean, that being said, you know, there's lots of, there's lots of people whose names show up on lots of Destroyer records, you know, like you, I think there's a lot, you know, there's way more threads than people kind of give it credit for. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, but you know, I'm not like, uh, I don't, you know, probably my great downfall is that, or not it won't be a great downfall because that implies <laughs> greatness <laughs> but my downfall will could be like i don't really have um i don't really have an aesthetic i mean there's chords that i gravitate towards that anyone who's ever played in the band for more than a couple of years can crack jokes about uh -huh. and there's like certain vocal melodies i gravitate towards but um I'm kind of all over the place, though. So, I mean, there's the stuff that I love. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. But it's not necessarily things that are attainable to me, you know, like... I love probably Van Morrison and Joni Mitchell and Bob Dylan and things like that more than anything, but I'm not sure that that's really, um, that's really where my path lies. Though I guess those are three pretty distinct paths. I, I feel like maybe it does. I, one the, the Seeing you the last time I saw you, I did think of some of those people. And, yeah. Uh, and I think it does shine through. And I was listening to Kaput and I was thinking about Bob Dylan a, a lot. Um, the other day. So, I mean, I, I think that in a way you are on, I mean, it sounds so highfalutin, but it also sounds kind of like easy. Like these are the classic figures to, to compare you to or whatever. But um, I mean, this is, that's, I think at some point I'll be fine with, um, 
just me trying out the things that I like, you know, and uh, that's pretty much pretty much how it's happened. You know, I'm going into the studio tomorrow, and the songs that we have, that we're working on have a very kind of familiar vibe to me, and I'm totally totally fine with that. You know, I think there was a shift between. between Kaput and the records that came before it. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't think it's as drastic as, as all that. I mean, I mean, I know that there's people who couldn't stand Destroyer music before that album and then got really into that record. So it must mean something. But um, I think there's traces of, of that record and lots of other stuff I've done. You're saying that when you okay, so you're saying that the music that you're about to go and have you already started recording, or is tomorrow the first day? Tomorrow's the first day. So when you say that there's a familiarity to them already, uh, that to you is uh, in the arrangement and, and potentially the lyrical content, but you don't actually know sonically <laughs> where you're headed yet. Uh, I mean, <clears throat> I'm recording these songs with. Um with the band that I was on tour with in 2012. Um, so I kind of know, and I kind of, I kind of know what that band sounds like. And I think I was, when I said that, I, I was just thinking about the songs themselves have like, there's a handful of them that have just like, just, just destroyer like quality to them. <laughs> I really know what's happening. <laughs> but you write a song and you're just like, wow, that really sounds like something I might write, which seems <laughs> that's incredibly <laughs> obvious statement to make, but it doesn't it does not has there been a point songs. has there been a point in your recent uh, work where you thought this doesn't sound like me? Um there's always like a song here or there where it's like I I'm not exactly sure where the song came from. It doesn't sound uh it doesn't sound typical of me. Hmm. It's usually maybe a musical thing. Um, yeah, there's usually one or there's usually a handful. Um, I'm, though it's hard. It's hard to say. Like, if I think about like the last album, which are the ones that sound really like Destroyer songs, and which ones sound like something else? Right. I could be completely deluded about this, and they could all sound like a hundred percent typical of typical of my factory. I think that the fans there's probably anything. There's probably close to a consensus that Kaput was something different. Yeah, that's true. That's as possible. I kind of raged against that theory for um quite some time, but. It could be just like this kind of strange nod. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I wrote a couple new pornographer songs actually that really don't sound like something I, in my mind, don't sound like something I wrote. Um, that are going on the the new new pornographers album. No, well, now why would you say they don't sound like something you would? Is it is it? Are you able to? I know that's an easy thing to say on some level, and. And obviously, we'll all find out what you mean by it when the record emerges. But can you pinpoint now what you mean by that? I mean, lyrically, I'm saying things I don't recognize as something I would say. Structurally, in the music, it doesn't necessarily sound like chord chord progressions I would gravitate towards. Mm. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. so pretty, yeah, pretty elemental stuff, I think. Okay. And yeah. at this point, okay, so you haven't gone into the studio yet. Everything could change, but do you have a sense of um, a lyrical or sonic theme that uh, you will be exploring uh, with these songs at this point? Oh, with the Destroyer stuff? Yeah, well, the stuff you're about to go into. Uh... Yeah. Uh, I could never... I could I could never cast a hex on those songs by like <laughs> making a prog like yeah making 
proclamation about what they're about the day before I go in to record them. Or that's got to be some kind of uh, some kind of like voodoo hex. Bad juju. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I I only ask because you know in some in some cases uh, you know in a different year at a different time maybe you'd have a different answer maybe you'd be like well yeah, yeah. I definitely you know I would say generally for me like on a different day at a different time I probably have a different answer yeah I this occurs to me there's a there's something you said earlier that I wanted to touch upon but we got talking about this new music which I obviously find very interesting as well but you said something about how you're a bad band leader and I'm just curious is that due to a creative impulse or a personality impulse, like a personality obstruction, so to speak? Like, why do you think you're a bad band leader? Um, cause I have no interest in leading. Oh, it's, po- it's political. <laughs> I, I don't think that's a political move though. I think politics can be born of trying to like completely sidestep something you're not good at. <laughs> I don't mind. I don't mind making politics out of that, but it could be a could be not the one hundred percent truth. Okay, so it's a matter. It's actually to be in a in a very uh, encouraging sense. It's you being aware of your limitations. Yeah, I mean, I think it's good too. I think like I generally just want people to play stuff that they like. You know. Yeah. Um, oh, the dictatorial aspect of leading a band disturbs you on some level yeah and i don't have i don't have like um you know when i show up with a song i generally have some kind of grandiose vision for it Mm. for the most part it's kind of just like um you know let's just like throw everything down and see what sticks right um that's probably like one of the reasons why I'm, I'm probably like messing around in the studio a bit better is uh, I think you know that's probably if I have any flair for music, it might be where it lies. Is and um, you know sitting in front of a computer or a mixing board and just um, messing around with stuff, or you know, standing over someone's shoulders as I give them the vaguest of instructions and they <laughs> stuff. However, history is going to tell the story, you know? Yeah. When you think, we've talked a lot about artists who have influenced you over the years. When you think of artists that you yourself gravitate towards these days, do you find that you're more drawn to those who possess like an enigmatic quality? Like, does that, does an, interest, an interesting personality provoke you to, to check out someone's work? I have to believe that someone's personality has nothing to do with whatever qualities are in their records. <laughs> but but um, I do like I do like songs that, you know, um, evoke some mystery. I, I mean, like anything. I like anything that evokes some mystery. I mean, I ask you this because this is a something that has fallen upon you. I think people think of you as somewhat enigmatic, and uh, and I think that lyrically, you know, when I hear your lyrics, I'm, and I don't mean to, I don't know if you're a fan or not, but we mentioned Bob Dylan, but I also think of people like Stephen Malcolm as people who use lyrics um, as a way of playing with language, and I think potentially as a form of self-preservation it's kind of this buffer zone where things are very indirect would you would you agree with that is that something that you i know that you've said earlier that you don't really think too much about what you do you just do it but when you when you think about your lyric writing if you ever do does that come across do you notice a pattern of of, of kind of some distance within what you're what you're conveying um Uh, yes, I guess so. I uh, I mean, I I haven't like compared and contrasted my process to other people's, so I don't really know. I don't really know how it um how it's supposed to go down, or what's <laughs> normal, or what's enigmatic, and what's not. Uh, I think I think the way I write is 
particularly like words first compared to other songwriters. Um, you know, like Malcolmus would be an example. I think that's someone who probably has a few um, a few ideas and then gets up in front of the mic and starts like making passes mm-hmm. and seeing what sticks. While if I don't have the song kind of down from beginning to end, I won't even think about trying to put chords on it. You know. Um, so you you write you write a whole song like you write words let's just say and so that we avoid confusion you start writing words you come up with a structure and then you begin applying melody and, and musical ideas I think so I'm not I'm trying to remember I'm trying <laughs> I should probably just like document the day in the life of a song and see what what the norm is for me hmm. I mean like for instance Kaput was really different um, that seemed to be like a lot of little kind of semi-musical kind of lullaby fragments stitched together. Um, you know, these new songs are kind of more intact and more, maybe more typical of some of the older songs. Um, but I do, I think I took a break from pouring over lyrical music Mm. maybe in the late 2000s um, or just like actually even listening to music with singing or caring about it too much but I've kind of reverted back especially um, I kind of have like this old man old man knee jerk reaction to the current state of music where it's just like, I just can't hack it. It's just sickening all of it. And so looking for, um, looking for someone who says something somehow compelling is like kind of a way of, I guess you use the, the term self-preservation as both like a listener and a songwriter, you know? You're saying no one in the contemporary form that you can think of is really grabbing you. Oh, no, that's not true. Like, um, but for the most part, it's people that have been grabbing me for um, quite some time now, you know, and I don't, I don't want to go into that too much because I think it's super typical um, for like the aging artist to start griping about kids these days, you know, like, (laughs) I don't. Like, I, my problem is I probably have no idea what's going on. Not that there's nothing good going on. Because, um, you know, I was born in 1972, and it's not my job to know what's going on anymore. Um, well, you're also a working artist immersed in your own stuff, and sometimes the other stuff, uh, anyone, whether you love them or not, sometimes that's just going to pollute what you want to do. It's true, yeah. But, I mean, like, there's still... You know, like I can hear a Bill Callahan record and just um, just be impressed. You know that that's going on. Have and, you heard the new, the latest Bill Callahan record? Not the dub record. Have you heard the, the last Bill Callahan record? Um, the Dream River record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I hear them all. Like, uh, it's like one of a handful of people. Or when there's a new record out, I go get it and. There's always like at least um, at least a handful of songs or a couple of songs where I'm just like this is just, uh, this is masterful. It's as good as as good as anything the English language has coughed up, you know. Yeah, I, I can't get over how great Dream River is. It's just, <laughs> and I, I think he's entered this phase where I mean I think Woke on a Whaleheart is also right up there. I, I feel like he is just releasing quietly these game-changing records. And when I last spoke to him, I'm like, don't you resent that no one, not as many people are paying attention about this as they should be? Like, doesn't this not you? And he said, no. <laughs> no, and why would he? He's doing his thing, but uh, it's it's refreshing. It's the, world, the world is slowly coming around to the fact that he might be, like, um, you know, America's gift. Just to, I think also... It's just like a, 
it's kind of like this double whammy because it's not only just like the kind of amazing precision of his writing, um, but it's also like as if maybe Frank Sinatra was an amazing songwriter as well. Like his singing is gets to me it gets more and more incredible. Yeah, his singing and his musical instincts, like the the, the arrangements that that he's chosen to accompany what he's up to are just really remarkable. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's, yeah, I, I love his last few records. I mean, I like them all, but it seems like the last few just on this ferocious roll. Yeah, for sure. Well, I'm glad it's nice to hear that you see that as well. Um, I want to ask you briefly about humor in your work. Uh, one of the great criticisms that I resent among peers, and I don't know that I've seen it written too much, but there's a, a sense that you're you're very serious, and I always say, well, I actually hear a lot of st- the stuff in there that I find amusing, and, and it's, it's a, as much as it's just choice language choices or uh, things you're conveying. Uh, do you do you agree with that? I mean, are there things about your work that you find amusing? Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, um. Yeah, I kind of like can. <laughs> I think I do amuse myself <laughs> in the act of writing and def- and like in the act of singing and in the act of like kind of. Writing. I mean, I have to. I have to stay stay into it, and I can't just like. I can't just hone in a hundred percent on. Um, you know, like an aura of melancholia because that's, I don't know, it's probably not really me and probably not really anyone who knows me would say that's not really the story. Yeah. Um, I get a kick out of all this stuff. Like, uh, I, you know, like I get off on writing and um, I get off on like singing and voices um, so it, to me, it's strange that that, that doesn't come across, but, um, I don't think it's, I think there's like a long history of that stuff not coming across, you know, like, um, not to compare myself to these people at all. Cause actually just, just cause I don't, I'm not like them, but, um, you know, Nick Cave or Leonard Cohen classic examples of people seen as dour depressives who are seem to be constantly cracking wise in their music. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I always think it's telling that people view like Dylan's early period as like the stuff of protest songs. Whereas I, I kind of sat back and thought about it and all of his protest songs at the time, the, the ones that really resonate are satires. Yeah. Yeah. And no, that's probably true. Yeah. I don't have I haven't listened to that stuff in a long time but I bet I bet that's the case and he probably couldn't even help himself you know well like even and it's not a considered a protest song but don't think twice it's alright is nothing but rhetorical satire like just over and over and over again <laughs> it's yeah. just, it's this ironic thing and I think that sometimes humor it could be a presentation thing I, maybe I just when I hear some of the things you come up with lyrically I'm just like and and I and I gather that this doesn't offend you. I think it's hilarious. Yeah, well that's that's cool. That's good. <laughs> I mean, generally the only people who I see crack up too much are <laughs> you know, like John and Dave when I'm recording a vocal take. <laughs> but, <laughs> well, yeah. But um, it's curious that that, it's curious that that gets lost, but I hopefully <laughs> even us talking about it. Hopefully this podcast changes your life, Dan. I think this is going to be ground zero for something. It's going to be a uh, before and after. <laughs> well, we've talked a lot about what you're working on, and I appreciate uh, that information about uh, your, your record and uh, and also the contributions to the new pornographer's uh, uh, release. Do you have um, uh, timelines for any of these things? Are you aware of when, uh, obviously, you're just starting a, uh, to make a record, but do you have a timeline in mind for when that might see the light of day or even the uh, the new, new, new pornos release? Pornographer's record is going to come out this year, mm-hmm. or I'll help. It's going to break loose. <laughs> um, 
it's it's pretty much done. Uh, and the destroyer stuff, I mean, it's early days, but I want it to come out next year. You know, I'm I think. Um, I think it has a fighting chance for sure to come out like, um, you know, I don't know, maybe, maybe spring of next year or something. Okay. I mean, obviously, yeah. Like I said, without a, without having roll tape for a single second, it's, uh, it's hard to say, hard to say what the path will be. Of course. I, I only ask about your projected timeline, obviously. Yeah, I think so. I, I want to have. I definitely want to have the record done by the end of the year. So. Okay. Now we mentioned that you're playing solo uh, earlier. We talked about the fact that you're, uh, at least since I last saw you, your solo shows have evolved. Um, for the solo show in Guelph, uh, will you be hearing new material, like uh, unreleased material? Are you are you focused on uh, any particular uh, songs? I generally have been playing like kind of just went through the last 20 years and picked out ones that I like to sing and ones that sounded good with like kind of this kind of minimal acoustic accompaniment. Um, That was one thing. And then the other thing was I tried my hardest to learn a couple of those Spanish songs that I recorded. Um, And then there were a couple of new songs that I would try here and there. That's definitely the set. Okay. And uh, any um, tributes, any covers? Do you do anything like that? Um, I mean, aside from the Spanish songs. Yeah. Which I did. Yeah. I, have I tried to play a cover? I feel like maybe I did back in November and it just went so badly that I bailed. But maybe I'll try it again. Okay, are you taking requests? Yeah, what's good? Um, why don't you play uh, "Conduit for Sale" by Pavement, just just for fun? <clears throat> That's one of the rockers, isn't it? Yeah, or I know. I, I just thought it would be. <laughs> I don't know why I picked that one. I don't really know. I actually don't know. I, I I don't make requests of bands. I think that you're not my jukebox. I was just kind of making a joke, but it would be fun. It'd be It'd fun. Be It'd be fun if you did something really out of character or whatever, out of character for the song in, in this context. Maybe, maybe not. I think it'd be fun to learn a pavement song. I just have to find the right one. You know who loves pavement is my two and a half year old. Really? Adores it. I can't put him to bed without singing. This came up on the Stephen Malcolmus episode of the show, but yeah, he, we've moved on. What does he like? Yesterday he requested cut your hair before I went to bed, but he, okay. he knows all the words to stereo and shady lane in particular. Maybe I'll try some of those tunes um, on my daughter and see if see if she can get back on track. <laughs> Stereo and Shady Lane are both very sing-songy. Like they're kind of like yeah. almost nursery rhymey in a way. I can picture those working, yeah. Yeah, and they're really, I don't know why, I just know them. I don't have to, you know, I just sing whatever I know the words to. And I. it's always, he likes, yesterday, the other day he made up a song. He said, uh, I said, what do you want to hear? And he said, can you play Color Book Face? And I said, what is that? He said, it's by Bob Dylan and Jim Guthrie. He just made up... <laughs> he not only made up a song, he made up a collaborative enterprise. You need to commission that song. Well, to I, get Dylan and Jim Guthrie on the phone and say, get to work. Jim, I believe, is already working on his part. Okay, good. Yeah, but I appreciate the incentive. Well, listen, I uh, Dan, it's a pleasure to speak with you, and I really do appreciate your time and... Uh, as you said, this could be the this could change everything for you and for me. I got a good feeling about it. <laughs> Once again, Destroyer plays Kazoo Fest in Guelph on Friday, April 11th. The show features an opening set by the great Bry Webb, and it takes place at Dublin Street United Church, located at 68 Suffolk Street. And for more information, you can visit kazookazoo.ca or for uh, info about Destroyer, mergerecords.com/destroyer. Uh, Dan, uh, customarily, I ask uh, our, our, my guests if they will choose a song from their catalog for us to hear. We're um, technically off promotional cycle here. Uh, is there something that uh, you feel comfortable uh, with sharing with people at this point? A destroyer song. It could be. Could yeah, it could be the Spanish. It could be from the EP. I don't know. Whatever you feel like. Um. What about the song? Um, 
I don't know. How about the song Certain Things You Oughta Know? Do you have that one? I'm, yeah. It's off, I think it's the last song off your blues. I kind of I kind of like that one. It sounds fine to me. You you asked for it. I can't I can't argue with you. Okay. <laughs> All right, here it is. Uh, Dan, uh, really a pleasure. Thank you for your time, and we'll see you in Guelph. We'll see you soon. One, two, three, four... done with style It was just a way to see you smile Shadows in the snow There's certain things you ought to know There's certain things you ought to know Springtime charades Now don't mind me It's just that vipers define me And I never thought it'd be this way Springtime on the barricades Our springtime charades Now don't mind me It's just that vipers define me And I never thought it'd be this way against the sea turning to snow 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 Hey, thanks again for checking out Creative Control with Vish Khanna. You can email me about the show at creativecontrol933 at gmail.com. That's creative with a K, control with a K, 933 at gmail.com. 
You can also follow our Twitter at Vish Creative, V-I-S-H-K-R-E-A-T-I-V-E. And you can also like our Facebook page. A version of this show airs on CFRU in Guelph every Wednesday at noon Eastern. And you can listen to that online at CFRU.ca or if you're in the KW region at 93.3 FM in Guelph. You can also sign up for the weekly mailing list for the podcast and the, and the show at vishkana.com and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. I believe that is everything I wanted to tell you. Thank you once again. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.